I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all toil and striving of uh, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word that speaks to every area of our lives. And uh, as we think about our work this morning, would your spirit apply these words to teach us what it means to trust you, uh, to obey you, to be faithful to you in our work, and to apply the hope and truth of the gospel to uh, the, the things that we do that we spend so many hours of our life devoted to. So uh, be our teacher open this text for us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking this morning about the Bible's teaching on work, which uh, may be a topic that many of you have never really thought through. How does my faith apply to the work that I do, you know, Monday to Friday and spend so many hours doing? Do these two things have anything to say to each other? And yet, uh, work is probably the thing in our culture we're most likely, maybe one of the things, to substitute for God. Uh, just think about some of these questions, how you would answer these questions. Someone asks you, what are you doing with your life? How many of us, you could answer that, well, this is what I'm doing for work, this is what I'm trying to accomplish my, with my work. Do you answer it that way? Or do you answer it, well, I'm, I'm serving Jesus. My life is about being a disciple to Jesus. Which, which was your answer? Or, where do you get your money and your food? Do you answer that? Well, I work for it. I go to work and I have this job. This is where I get that. Or do I say, my money and my food is a gift from God's hand. I receive it all from God. He's the one who provides it for me. Or, uh, where did you make your friends? Where is my community? Is it the people I work with? Oftentimes it's the people we work with. Or is it, is it in, my, in my spiritual life? The people who know the Lord, that's what really bonds me close to people. Or this, where do you look to know that you are successful? that you are living a meaningful and complete life and accomplishing what you're supposed to. How do you know that you're, living, you're accomplishing something with your life and having a meaningful life? What do you look to? Many of us say, well, these are the things that I've accomplished in my work, or is it because I know that I've been loved by Jesus? And that's what means that my, tells me that my life is meaningless. You see, all these questions could be answered either by work or God. Work has the potential to take this central role that God is supposed to play in our life. 
Now, it's not so simple, though, to say, well, stop making work so important. Stop turning work into a god, because the Bible actually says that work is a good thing. And actually, the first, you know, we've been reading through Ecclesiastes, and in this passage, the first kind of positive thing we've heard about God so far in two chapters. And it says in verse 24, there's nothing better for a, a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. The first good thing we hear about God is when we find enjoyment in our work, that that's a gift from him. But this passage is complex, because it also says in verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. So you have these two things of, you know, is a gift from God to enjoy your work, and I hate my work. And how do these, these two things come together? Which is the truth? Well, one way to answer that is to ask, well, what is a biblical worldview of work? Well, how does the Bible teach us to think about work? And the way that you answer that question is by looking at the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible tells the story of creation, where God created the world, the fall, where humanity rebelled against God and we became sinners, and then the gospel, which is God's redemption of our life and bringing us back to God. What do each of these elements of the biblical story teach us about work? So this is what our three points are going to be answering those questions this morning. What does creation teach us about work? What does the fall teach us about work? And what does the gospel teach us about work? And each of these have, has an important insight uh, to contribute to the question. So first, what does creation teach us about work? And of course, if you open your Bible to page one, the first thing you're going to find is... God working, right? You know, the story of uh, God worked for six days. He took the earth that was formless and void, and, and he crafted it into this beautiful place that's filled with mountains and rivers and, and all kinds of bears and wolverines and birds and all kinds of swimming things. And, and so what we learn about God, the first thing we learn about him is that God is an artist and that his work is taking things and making them into more beautiful things. And when God saw all the work that he did, what did it say? That it was all very good. God's work was good. That's something that God does, is that God works. And then God makes us in his image, it says, and that we too take the things that God's made and we work with our hands and we make things. And so being made in God's image, it says, is not simply about who we are, you know, that we're loving and that we think, and we're not like the animals, we're smarter than the animals. It's also being made in God's image is about what you do. The way that you're made in God's image is, is what you do with the world, that we take this world that God's made, just like he took the formless and void earth and formed it into all these beautiful things, then we take them. We take the things that God's given to us and we transform them. We take the rock and we transform it into airplanes. And, you know, we take the plants and we make all these beautiful spices and these, these food and we chop down a tree and you make a guitar and you make sounds out of it. And what we do is we take God's earth and transform it into a culture. And we offer the culture back to God as a gift. We say, God, thank you for this world. We're going to transform it and offer it back to you. And at the very heart of this task of who we are as God's image bearers is work. It's how we do that. It's part of our identity. It's so important. So that's why this passage, verse 24 again, says, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. 
which means something so simple as you eating your breakfast this morning, which you worked for to be able to buy, and that someone else made that food or you know, pre- prepared it or brought it to the store and somehow got in your refrigerator and you made it, that whole process that seems so simple, this text says is an act of God. Is an act of God. It's a spiritual event. And when we realize that, it'll tell us a couple things about work. The first of all, all work, then, is holy. All work is holy. Now, uh, Christians have not always realized this. Um, this was a discovery that was really reinforced in the Reformation in the 16th century. Before the Reformation, it was very common for Christians to think that if you were going to live a holy life, then you should become a priest or a monk. And you're going to separate yourself from kind of the world, and you're going to have a life of contemplation or a life of prayer, and you're not going to have a family. And everyone else, that's the holy life. Everyone else lives kind of a common, unholy, uh, less important life in God's eyes. And so if you really wanted to serve God, you had to stop being a baker and go be a monk. And what the the reformers during the Reformation said, no, the Bible says that we are all uh, priests in God's house. And that all the work that we do is how we serve God. Every kind of work, no matter what you do. If you're, you know, a, a, a janitor, or you're an engineer, or you're a cook, or you're a teacher, whatever it is, these are all holy vocations, and we do these in service to God. And actually... I remember a couple of years ago, we had a men's group in our church that, uh, and Austin Minimo was gave a talk on the Christian view of work. And he said this, he opened my eyes to this, this thought about how many people through their work are serving us every day. And, and after the group, I went home, I was walking around my house, and I was looking at all the doorknobs, and I was thinking, you think of all the people that went into making this doorknob and, like, getting it into my house and installing it. It's like, oh, the factory, wherever this factory was, and there's light bulbs, and my clothes, and then I was thinking about my car, and I'm driving around, and, you know, my computer, and the music I listen to, and the people who made that music, and then the refrigerator that keeps my, you know, everything. You just walk around your house, and you think of all the people that are represented in all those things. And you're like, there are millions of people in my house They're all there, and it's like they're all serving me. I felt like I was this king that had these millions of people that are using their skills and their gifts to make my life more comfortable and more enjoyable. And God has made his world that way, that we all play a part in our work of serving one another, of loving our neighbor through our work. It's incredibly powerful and beautiful, and that's how he's made the world, to be this interconnected web of people using their gifts to make this a wonderful place to live. Which I think tells us that as Christians, since your work is a way of loving your neighbor, it's important that we strive to do it excellently. You know, when uh, we were starting this church, I was 28, I had a, a, a buddy whose dad was a partner in an uh, architectural firm in Tacoma. And his dad wanted to donate a logo to our church. If you drive in and you see the Christ Church with the table, and uh, that was donated by this architectural firm in their, in their def- design department. And when I went there to get, you know, talk about this logo, I walked in, and, you know, I just felt like I'm this kid who's going, I want to start a church and stuff. And I walk in, and, you know, there was this project manager and this artist who met with me, and they listened to me about all my ideas about the church, and they took it totally seriously. 
And they wrote it all down, and then they printed it up in these nice pieces of paper, and they gave me these different options for logos and with a whole plan of this is why this logo communicates what you want to do. And I just felt so res- respected, so loved, so cared for. And I left that realizing that professionalism, doing your work with excellence, is a way of loving people. I felt so loved by them. Just as, as some ki- even as some, some kid trying to start a church. And with our work, we love our neighbors. So that's why all work is holy. But also, creation teaches us, that all work is also grace. And you see that verse 24, it says, this also is from the hand of God. This experience of just eating and drinking and then finding enjoyment in your toil, this is an act of grace. And which means that whenever someone experiences a passion for their work, they love what they're doing, and, and they do it well, and the people around them love working with them, that means God's grace is present in that experience. And so, you know, some of you would even say, you know, I have maybe a non-Christian boss who really treats us well, listens well, is not domineering, but also challenging, you know, expects a lot, but builds me up. And, you know, or maybe I, you know, I work for someone who pays me well, and they just have a business that's great to work for. There's all kinds of people who don't aren't necessarily Christians, and yet God has given this grace into their life that this enjoyment of toil has come from the hand of God, and they do that. And now, there's a word for that that theologians have called common grace. So there's special grace, which is when you learn about Jesus, that you're a sinner, and that Jesus takes away your sin, and you have your sins forgiven, and you have eternal life in Jesus, that's special grace. And it's given to God's, God's people, who belong to Jesus. But there's also common grace, which is God's grace to all people. That whether someone has a family, where they get along in their, their marriage, or they do their work well and they have these skills and they use that to serve other people, this is all God's grace present in their lives, which means that as Christians, we can see in non-Christians that there's so much grace at work in their lives through their work. This is a connection point for us uh, to see God around us. And what all this tells us is that work, then, is an essential part of human thriving. It's an essential part. You know, the Greeks, and the ancient Greeks, thought that work was for slaves and the uneducated. And they thought, uh, you know, as much as you can, you don't want to work. The real, meaningful, fulfilling life is a life of leisure, where you contemplate and you think about philosophy and you debate with your friends. Um, The biblical view was totally different because Jesus, who lived the most meaningful life, was a carpenter, right? He was, he was a laborer. And when God came among us, he worked with his hands, which tells us about the importance of work, but which also tells us how difficult it is when we don't have work. And you know, some of you know what that's like, or at very times in your life, or even right now, that when we don't get to work, there's something so important of what we were made to be we're not getting to do. And we feel profound loss and hurt in that. And this leads to the second question we're going to answer this morning, is not simply what does creation teach us about work, that it's holy and that it's grace, but also that we're living in a cursed world because of sin. And so we ask, what does the fall teach us about work? 
And actually, if you go back to the, the account of the fall when Adam and Eve sinned against God and sin came into the world, the, almost one of the first things God says is the results of that is get, that work is going to be difficult and painful and it's going to seem fruitless and it's going to seem futile and it's going to lose this enjoyment that it was supposed to have in the creation. This is what it says in Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain... You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. Genesis speaks directly about how frustrating work is. And this passage describes some elements of that frustration in a couple ways. First of all, this passage in Ecclesiastes tells us that work, our work is vulnerable to others. That's one of the reasons that it's frustrating is because there's other people, there's sinners that we have to deal with in our work and uh, from our work. And this is what it says specifically about it, verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. So the thing that he's describing here is you might work your whole life so hard for something, invest hours and hours, invest all your passions and your skills and your heart into something, and it, at the end of your life, it could just evaporate. Or you have to pass it on to someone else who's going to enjoy the benefits of it. Actually, traditionally, Ecclesiastes was uh, said to have been written by uh, Solomon. And, you know, Solomon, if you read about him in 1 Kings, he had this great kingdom, and he had all these slaves, and he had all his wealth, and he had these, these armies, and he conquered all these lands... And Solomon left his kingdom to his son, Rehoboam. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians 12. Rehoboam becomes the king, and a bunch of uh, the servants who had been slaves under Solomon came to Rehoboam and said, listen, your father put this huge burden on us. Will you give us some relief? And so Rehoboam goes and he asks the older advisors in his kingdom, what should I do? Should I give relief to uh, to these slaves? And they say, you know what? Give them relief, and they'll love you. They'll be loyal to you. Be kind to them. They'll be kind back to you. And Rehoboam says, you know, I'm going to ask my buddies that I grew up with and see what they think. And the buddies say, no. Lay it on them harder. Increase the burdens. Enslave them more. And what happens? Rehoboam, uh, by that action, started a, a civil war that divided God's people, and Israel was ripped into two kingdoms. And this whole kingdom that, that, that Solomon had built, that he passed down to his son, his son just totally destroyed. And this is one of the things about our work, is our work is susceptible to what other people do. And that they can ruin it, or they can take it from us. And that we can't hold on to it forever. And, you know, I, was, I read an article this last week about Larry King. And uh, some of you, probably most of you have seen Larry King Live. It was on for 25 years. And Larry King apparently is obsessed with death. He's an atheist. I think he's scared of dying, but he thinks about it all the time. Actually, he told his wife, if you are five minutes late to my funeral, I'm going to be very angry. I won't exist, but I'm going to be very angry. 
And, uh, and, and he's, he can't stop thinking about death. But the major thing that has happened in his life was that he lost his show. He had this show for 25 years, and he interviewed all these famous people. And he made this show that was, he was this icon, and he was known internationally. And, and then CNN took him off the air after 25 years. And Piers Morgan had to go on and was his replacement. And actually, the interviewer said, before he was going to interview Larry King, he said, the one thing you shouldn't mention is Piers Morgan. He hates Piers Morgan, who took over these 25 years. And he thought, I built something for myself. I'm this famous interviewer, and now all of a sudden, it's gone. It just disappeared, evaporated. And he had to leave it to some guy that he thinks is a schmo, who, you know, Pierce Morgan, and he has to watch a show, and he thinks he's screwing up the show. And that's the effect of work, which uh, raises that question for us. This is why it cannot be the central piece in our life is because it's going to evaporate. And we're going to have to leave it to someone else. But there's a second thing about this passage, not just that our work is vulnerable to others, but also our work is restless. And you see this in verse 22. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. And then listen to this line. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is, he's not resting. And this is not because he's exhausted, because he's working, you know, he's constantly working all the time. This is a guy who's up in the middle of the night with anxiety about his work. His mind is turning, and it just won't stop. And he's thinking about what he's accomplishing and what he needs to do and what he needs to do with his work. And w- when the work plays a central role of us, our, in, our inner life becomes restless. And there's a question, why is work so emotionally unsettling for us? And the reason is because most of our idols, the things that we love most in our lives, are tied up in our work. Right? If you really want money in your life, if you really want accomplishment, if you really want respect from others, one of the primary places that you're going to look for that is in your work. And so your work reveals to you what your idols are, what your real gods are, what you're really devoted to in your life. And um, I I put a quote for you on page three of your bulletin. If you have a bulletin, you can uh, turn there. And this is from uh, uh, Tim Keller. has a really great book on work, if you're interested in reading more about work. And uh, he actually talks about Ecclesiastes in that book, and this is what he says. If we base our lives on work and achievement, on love and pleasure, or on knowledge and learning, our existence becomes anxious and fragile. Because circumstances in life are always threatening the very foundation of our lives, and death inevitably strips us of everything we hold dear. Ecclesiastes is an argument that existential dependence on a gracious creator God is not just abstract belief, but to know your creator, know his grace towards you, to have dependence on him, is a precondition for an unshakable, purposeful life. I think that's very powerful. He says, if your life is based on your work, you will be anxious and fragile. 
because it's always unstable. It always can be taken away. And actually, let me read you one more verse from this passage down in verse 26. In the second half of that, it says, But to the sinner, he is given the business of gathering and collecting. And what the picture, you know, a sinner in this passage is not someone who sins. It's someone whose whole worldview is that they don't believe in God. And since there's no purpose in God, all of their meaning has to be in their work. And it describes them as going about this business of gathering and collecting. They're just scraping around. And it's like they, they have this bottomless pit that they're just dumping accomplishments and possessions and money into that's never filling up. And it's so frustrating. And it just goes on and on and on. It's this restlessness. And there's this hollowness that they're desperately trying to fill. And no work, no accomplishment, no money, no possessions can ever fill it. Some of you, if you're here, you may say, I know exactly what that is. I know the frustration of work. I know that I've longed for things. Maybe some of you have spent years and years devoting yourself to certain accomplishments at work, and you find that it is not satisfying you. It's not settling the restlessness. What is the answer then? And this is the third question we're going to look at this morning, is what then does the gospel teach us about work? And this also, two things. The first thing is that the gospel teaches us is that in Jesus, our work is not in vain. In Jesus, our work is not in vain. This is the final verse in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is a passage that talks about Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection of the body. And his final words there, this Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You hear that? Steadfast, immovable? It doesn't sound like anxious and fragile. Immovable, unshakable. Um, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, that's Jesus, your labor is not in vain. Paul seems to think that in Jesus, the work that we do doesn't have to disappear. In Jesus, it has an eternal quality to it. And part of that is because when we do service, you know, we will stand in judgment before the Lord. The Lord will remember our work. He's the one who brings it into eternity. But also in Jesus, you know, as Christians, we believe in the resurrection of the body. That when we when Jesus comes to renew all things, our hope is not that our, you know, our souls are going to float off to the netherworld and we're going to live in the netherworld for you know, endless ages. The gospel says that God is going to come and renew God's good green earth and rid it of, of sin and evil and futility and frustration. And what God did for Jesus' body when he raised his body from the dead, he's going to raise our bodies from the dead with all of our gifts and all of our personality and all the things that he's made us to uniquely show the world what he is like that we're supposed to do in our work and we're going to do that for eternity. And so when our work is in the Lord, it has a continuity into the age to come, and so it is not in vain. And so there's a question for us, is how many of us have decided that our work is a holy calling received from Jesus by which you serve him? How many of you see your work that way? Whatever job you have, This is your calling to serve Jesus in that job. This is where God wants you to serve him. And you know what? How do you do that? I I don't know. You're going to have to think about your own work. 
you have to think about your own work. How do I see my work through the gospel, though? How, how, does, my, how does the gospel start to shape my work? Now, some of you will think, well, I, so you want me to tell my coworkers about Jesus. That may be. That may be that you build relationships with the people you work with, and you get to know them, where everyone else is just, you know, they're, you know, uh, tunnel vision on their work, and they never pay attention that these are actual human beings around me, and I might get to know them and find out about their lives and share our lives together. Yeah, that might be a part of how the gospel comes into your work. But there are other things. Your character, of course, and how you, you know, if you're a manager, and how you treat people with respect and how you speak to them, how you handle conflict, walk into conflict, and seek reconciliation. There's all kinds of conflict that happens in, 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 a, in a work community. How do you handle that? Is bringing the gospel in. Praying that your work actually brings more flourishing to humans. You know, if you're a teacher, you're a nurse, you're actually bringing blessing into people's actual lives. And so praying that your work would actually bless people and and make their lives flourish more. Or doing my work with uh, professionalism, giving dignity to people. Or, you know, some of you might just be good at making money. And maybe that's God's calling for you, is I need to make as much money as I can so that I can be generous to others. I can be generous to my church. I can be generous to ministries. I can be generous to, to people that are in my church. And uh, maybe that's your calling. And some people need to flip a switch that I need to not make money just for myself to, to pour into the, the bottomless pit of my soul, but to make money to give back to the Lord and to bring glory to his name. There are countless ways, but we need to pause and say, how is my work being an act of service to the Lord. There's a second thing that the gospel teaches about work. It's not just that in the Lord, it's not in vain, but second, that in Jesus, we have rest. It's one of the things the gospel promises. You know, Jesus says, come to me all who labor, all who work, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus promises to calm our inner anxiety, our need to perform, our need to accomplish, our need to succeed that is causing that restlessness in us. The gospel tells us that Jesus came and when he died on the cross, he had a crown of what? A crown of thorns. The thorns of the curse, that our work was cursed, and he took that curse upon himself. And what did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. The work is finished. The work that we need to do to have a life that is meaningful, to accomplish what we need to accomplish, to be successful, Jesus has done it for us. He's lived the perfect and full life on our behalf, and he's taken our failures on the cross for us so that the life of fulfillment and accomplishment has already been done for us. We don't have to chase it anymore. We have it in him. And now it's out of gratitude that God has already embraced us, has already validated our lives, that we can do our work now for his glory and not to grab and to to collect and to fill the void of our heart again. And so look look at all that the scriptures tell us about our work the goodness of it in creation, that is holy and is, that it's, it is grace, but that also the frustration of it in the fall. But it is in the gospel that our work begins to most make sense and it becomes a part of our spiritual life and it's one of the primary spiritual events that God has given to us that we might walk with him. Let's pray together.
Our Lord, I thank you for the many callings that you've given to those who sit here. Lord, would your spirit teach us to, first of all, not make work the center of our lives, that Jesus would be our meaning, our accomplishment, our success is in him. And that you would give rest to our souls. That we, with that peace, might all enter into our workplaces as lights, as blessings to those we work with. And Lord, so send us out. Encourage us, equip us, and teach us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.